Welcome to After Dark with Robin Andrew on the America Out Loud platform. Tonight, we have got a lot to discuss, so I'm just going to jump right into it. My co-host tonight is Heather Robinson of the New York Post. Heather, how are you tonight? I'm doing well, Rob. How are you? Good, good. Now, we've got a lot to talk about. Just going to jump right into it. On the top of my list, I want to talk about, of course, about your trip that you made in Las Vegas. We want to talk about the debates from last night. We want to talk about Trump's rally. We also want to talk about the elections Man, the elections last night, everyone thought that we were going to see the red wave. I got to say, Republicans did do good because we kept some governorships and we won some, especially in Mississippi. But in Virginia, we got stomped. And a lot of people thought that Glenn Young, the governor there, was going to deliver. And I'll tell you, Heather, why I think this is so important. A lot of the party establishments were looking at Glenn Youngkin as possibly entering into the presidential race. We see that Ron DeSantis has not been performing the way a lot of people wanted him to. So I think all eyes were on Yonkin as a possibility to come in and stop Trump. Had he pulled this off in Virginia and flipping the Senate and keeping the House and the Republicans' hands, that would have been it. Without a doubt, I think they would have pushed him into the race. But last night was a wake-up call that what he thought he had, that stronghold, that pushed the momentum, he didn't have it. Look at Kentucky. Kentucky, a red state. And the attorney general, Bashir, was able to hold him off. And what we thought was going to happen didn't happen. And in a red state, a lot of people were shocked, and they, we, many people thought going into the race, they said, hey, this is going to be a tight race. He's going to squeak through. Didn't happen. And in that instance, I think that the reason why Cameron, Daniel Cameron didn't win was because of the abortion issue. Mm-hmm. Because when you look at Kentucky, all the other Republicans won. And Trump even endorsed Daniel Cameron. But Bashir was able to pull it off. Bashir had a stronghold on Kentucky. One, his dad had previously been governor. And a lot of people were saying that because of his performance during the tornadoes that they had, that they liked him. I mean, had it not been for COVID, when COVID hit, he failed with COVID. He failed miserably, shut everything down, kids suffered. But aside from that, with the tornadoes, there were no complaints about the guy. So he was able to hold on to a seat. And it wasn't even a close race. I don't know, Heather, if this is indicative of what could possibly happen in 2024. We saw what happened in 2022 after the election. So I I think this is a bit of a wake-up call that Republicans have got to do better with their messaging. They have got to come up with a better messaging for on the abortion issue. I think that Trump has it down, Pat. Nikki Haley, we saw her in the the debate tonight. She knows what to say on abortion. But a lot of Republicans, I think that they're missing this by a long shot. I think that they're going too hardcore. I get it. We understand the sanctity of life. But they're unable to explain their position without saying abortion, we're just going to get rid of it altogether. That's it. And you can't be so draconian and leave out all those other little nuances like what happens when a woman gets raped? What happens if a child... There's incest and she's pregnant. They don't explain that. They just go through what up, no abortion at all. Yeah, or what if, God forbid, something's very severely wrong? I mean, I'm not talking about something minor, but, you know, it's very sad and rare, thank God. But I was talking to a a friend who's a doctor, and there are such things as what they call situations that are incompatible with life, where 
you know, terrible situations that really are severe medical emergencies where a child would be born with terrible suffering and very poor prognosis for life once the child is born. I mean, there are extreme circumstances like this. My sense of it is that um, I think a lot of women are spooked on this issue. And, you know, even some of us who do not like the idea of abortion and do not believe in it as a means of birth control or, you know, a way of, uh, you know, dealing with inconvenience or something like that, you know, still the idea that it would be in government's hands completely I think it's scary because, for one thing, a lot of people and conservatives can understand this don't trust the government that much to make great choices. And we've seen it when it comes to COVID, when it comes to adjudicating all kinds of things, handling uh, sentencing with crime. I, you know, you know, government isn't uh, always a perfectly wise and efficient institution and even you know that we probably have the best government that's ever existed government is government it's not your your priest or your rabbi or your family or yourself and so i think that maybe if conservatives could think of it that way that there are some women who are not callous or um comfortable with the idea of abortion on demand or would never do it for something other than an emergency reason, but don't like the idea of completely giving over our the judgment about it to the government. Maybe that's a way to go in finding some kind of middle ground. Um, because I agree with you, Rob, that I think that this is the issue that the Republicans are, fo- you know, I, I do respect the pro-life position. Right, I'm so not- do I. I respect it also. It's a winner for us. And I and if I stretch my, you know, I can I can understand why Um, some of the things that the left stands for, I absolutely cannot fathom. But I think this is one of those issues kind of like, uh, you know, I mean, I think there there are some things that are just completely, you know, crazy that the left screams about. But I mean, I think whether you're talking about police brutality or abortion, I mean, I do think for us to dismiss that there's even a shred of legitimacy to the concerns is not the way to go. Because, you know, I I don't agree with the hard left on these things. I think they're, you know, taking things to a disastrous and dangerous extreme, and they are dangerous. But it may be the case that that doesn't mean that everybody who's concerned about the issue is completely crazy and has absolutely no basis for their feeling. Um, and maybe there is room for some some compromise. I know that, um, you know, very strong pro-lifers feel there is not and it's a moral issue. And I think it is a moral issue. I agree. But I think that maybe there are ways to be absolutist in one's own life about it, you know, and I think that's that's important if you don't believe in it. You know, personally, I don't believe in it unless I was, God forbid, faced with an emergency, I wouldn't consider it. But I think that it's something that there are people who aren't horrible people who might, you know, you know, who fear being in some kind of an emergency situation and not having the right because somebody in government, you know, doesn't see well, this. I think, well, I think the election should be should serve as a wake up call that we can't be so hardcore and not reasonable because it's killing us. 
at the polls. And we saw that during the uh, 2022 election. But once again, Republicans thought there was going to be a wet red wave. And when they went out and they polled the people and they said it was the abortion issue that was driving them because Republicans were so hardcore with you can't go, you can't do it. And people just aren't going to accept that. And when you look at Kentucky, which is a red state, and all of the other individuals won with the exception of the governor, and it was because of some of them said, one, Bashir performed so well when they were in a crisis with tornadoes, and tornadoes really went through Kentucky, and it ripped that state apart, uh, and the abortion issue. Now, mm-hmm. Daniel Cameron was an ideal candidate. He was endorsed by Trump, and many people thought he was going to win. They said that it was going to be a tight race, and but when the numbers came in, it wasn't the case. And then you move on down to Virginia, which was really, I think that is really a wake-up call. I don't know if Glenn Youngkin is having a post-mortem, but I think he should, because a lot of the establishment, a party establishment, from what I've been reading, they were looking that had he been successful in holding on to the Senate and flipping the House, making it all red, that they were definitely going to draft him to run for president. And it didn't happen. And a all the states, you would have thought that Virginia, with all the the issues that they're having with abortion and uh, gender identity, uh, the schools, you would have thought that this would have been a shoe in. But again, it goes back to abortion and the messaging. And I don't think the Republicans are listening to the base when it's what they're saying about abortion. Like, as you said, uh, I I am pro-life. I'm not against abortion, but I am not so lost in my beliefs that there isn't room to have discussion uh, in the case when the mother's life is at risk or the child uh, is going to be born, is going to have all these defects. Uh, And I think that Republicans don't do a good job in explaining it. Their thing is just, no, we're just going to just know you just can't have it at all. And it's costing us the election. Right. Now, and understanding the fears of some right, women. Right, the fears. Right. I, and it's not just, I mean, there are people who are callous. And I agree that I think that the unborn child has been dehumanized. And I, I don't agree with that. I think that um, this is the beginnings of life. It should be taken with reverence and seriousness. That I think the pro-choice people, some of them are wrong about. They don't want to look at that. Um but I do think that there, you know, sometimes there may be these heartbreaking situations and, you know, it may be that leaving that to medical professionals and the individuals involved may be the best we're going to do in terms of a reasonable, rational and humane approach as opposed to government. You know, however, on the other extreme, I think like most Americans seem to agree that total, complete freedom um, to just do it anytime, any way, up to the moment of birth on a healthy child. I mean, that's, I mean, I think, that, I don't think there are very many Americans who support that. And, you know, I would even challenge pro-choice people, and I am pro-choice. I mean, they don't believe in total freedom when it comes to gun ownership, okay? I mean, you can take any of these positions to an extreme. And I know neither, neither Second Amendment folk nor um, pro-life folk like the comparison to each other, but I think there's a similarity in only one um, narrow sense, which is that I think the absolutists want to take it to an extreme that becomes absurd. I mean, you can't stockpile automatics, you know, and you can't get an abortion of a healthy 
child in the eighth month. I mean, there are limits to freedom, even even if we do protect freedom in this country. Freedom doesn't mean taking things to an absurd extreme. So, I mean, I do think that there may be room for regulation, and, and we, we're seeing it in some states. But I think if there's a way to assuage women's concerns about too much government in people's lives, just the way we do, you know, we, we respect the Second Amendment, we respect the right to self-defense. That doesn't mean that if you have a criminal record, if you're irresponsible, if you have mental problems, if you're stockpiling weapons, I mean, you know, it doesn't mean you have an unlimited right to it in ways that are um, menacing or you can't manage the situation. And, you know, I think that that, that yeah I think that there's just got to be some that you know some you know some kind of compromise maybe the best we can do you know while protecting the right but um, but not allowing uh, people to take it to an absurd extreme right so what do you think what are your your thoughts on Glenn Youngkin uh, does this just completely shut down his uh, hopes of being president or running? Because he was unable to deliver, and I hear some people say that had Trump been on the ballot, that there might have been it might have been a different story. But a lot of people had, you know, they were looking at, they were watching Virginia closely. Mm-hmm. You know, to be honest, Rob, I haven't followed that race so so closely. So mm-hmm. I'm going to kick it back to you on that. I mean, I I knew it was a, you know, it was a considered a. Uh, kind of a focal point and um, sorry that he lost it. I mean, I can speak generally. I'm sorry to see that our, you know, that the Republicans didn't do so great overall. Although, like you said, there were some bright spots, but, yep. you know, the only thing I can think is that, yeah, I think it's the abortion issue. I mean, half the ki- voters in this country are women. A lot of them are women of ch- childbearing age and they're spooked by this. That's my analysis. I don't know why any other person at this point who's sane, functioning, and working and over the age of 25 would vote for a Democrat. So um, I think that there probably are a lot of women voters who are voting on that abortion issue. Because, I mean, look, the economy's a wreck. Um, I, Crime you know, is at an all-time high. Bad. The border's out of control. I mean, addiction, I just heard the candidates, you know, we heard in the Republican debate talking about it's hundreds of thousands of fentanyl deaths now here in this country. Some people aren't even addicts. They're just taking a pill or eating something that has fentanyl in it and dropping dead. I mean, it's like it is a crazy situation. Right. You know, we got the world on fire. We got wars now. We got. I mean, it's not like the. Democrats are doing a great job on the foreign policy. So what on what basis is anyone voting Democrat who's not just a totally rebellious kid or something, you know? And a lot of kids did come out and they voted in this election. So we're up against another commercial break. We're going to pick this up uh, on the other side. We're going to talk a little bit more about the debate. Uh, like they mentioned, we're going to also talk about your trip to Vegas so you're listening to After Dark with Rob and Andrew on the America Out Loud platform. You can hear us and watch us on AmericaOutloud.news. We'll be back after this commercial break. Thank you. The pandemic may be over for some, but millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-term effects of toxic spike protein. 
from COVID-19 and the vaccines. Fortunately, Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at the wellness company designed their spike support formula with the miracle enzyme natokinase, scientifically studied to dissolve spike protein so you can feel your very best. Go to OutloudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. This is Jody O'Malley with Nurses Out Loud. Did you know our body is made up of trillions of cells and inside each cell, redox signaling molecules are produced? These molecules hold a sacred place in chemistry because as we age, the vital communication of our immune system to keep our bodies free from harmful bacteria, viruses, and toxins become less efficient. For the first time ever, ASEA brings you the power of these molecules in a convenient and potent form to provide your body with the essential support it needs to thrive. Ever since I toured their facility, I take two ounces in the morning and evening, and my vitality and energy has been restored at a time I needed it the most. Go to americaoutloud.shop and get your exclusive 15% discount by using the code OUTLOUD. I'm so confused. I don't know what to do. I'm afraid of going to the hospital. My doctor tells me nutrition doesn't work. Trust is earned. We are the Energetic Health Institute, and we want to earn your trust. Natural medicine, holistic nutrition, detoxification, fasting, cellular healing, and so much more. Remember, the best way to be free is to be healthy. So stop being a patient and start being a student at energetichealthinstitute.org. And we are back, back to Dr. Robin Andrew on the America Outlaw platform. And my special guest host tonight is Heather Robinson of the New York Post. This segment, we're going to talk a little bit about the debate and Trump's rally. I started off watching the Trump rally. And as always, he was Trump. As they say, let Trump be Trump. And he intertwined so much. I think he talked for almost, I want to say, two hours, uh, if that. He was competing against the debate that was taking place in uh, in Florida, and it was aired on NBC. I don't get it. Why would they air the debate on NBC? Do you actually think Republicans are watching NBC? But at the same time, it wasn't necessarily for Republicans, but for other voters that they're trying to reach out to. But still, why would Rona Mc, Ronna McDaniel uh, allow NBC to host a debate? I mean, I don't know about you, Heather, but I think that they really do need to get a new RNC chairman. I don't think she's done anything to help Republicans uh, win any of their races. I hear people saying today that she's really not responsible for the local races at the state level. She's just the RNC chairman for the entire party. But I just don't feel that she has a grasp on things, and I think she should step aside. That being said, I did watch Trump's rally. He did a fantastic job addressing the issues that we're facing today, addressing Joe Biden and his incompetence. And what I found interesting is that he said that Joe's one of Joe's issues isn't his age necessarily his age. He's just incompetent. And I'm glad he said that because Trump himself isn't a spring chicken. And when you start talking about age, you know how the media will start to say, well, Trump, he's old also. Yeah, but Joe is older than Trump. Joe is the same age as Mick Jagger. Joe is 
the is younger than Bernie Sanders. He's younger than Warren Buffett, but yet Joe is struggling cognitively. So it's not necessarily his age, but his cognitive ability. And we see it on a daily basis. Joe cannot go out and give an interview with a news organization unless they're going to ask him friendly questions, unless they're going to put the questions in front of him and give him the questions in advance. This Joe has just destroyed our credibility on the world stage. And you look at how he is completely messing up the interaction that we're having with Israel and the war against Hamas. He wants them to, he's behind the scenes saying, cease fire, cease fire. Well, you don't cease fire when you're in the throes of addressing the issue. But he doesn't know what else to say. Meanwhile, look at what's happening in Ukraine. So Trump mentioned all of that in his rally. He addressed it all. And he said, if I were in office, do you actually think Russia would have gone into Ukraine? Do you actually think Hamas would have attacked Israel? And do you actually think, had they done it, that I would be saying, okay, we need to put the brakes on it? Absolutely not. He wouldn't have. Yeah, I mean, one thing I can tell you, Rob, uh, I think you're spot on as far as this ceasefire thing, but a lot of Jewish Americans have been, you know, satisfied with Biden's response. They Why? Feel, well, you know, he went to Israel, he gave some very moving speeches, and he, up till now anyway, has been supportive. And that scares me. I've heard that. That scares me. But it I really does. That I, first of all, I don't understand how anyone can talk about us any kind of humanitarian anything until our hostages are returned i mean these are these are civilians many of them babies children seized from their homes their families murdered in front of them dragged to by by these horrible terrorists into a hellhole little children being held i mean how anybody has the audacity to call for any humanitarian anything and i mean i do i've said it before i feel sorry for children on all sides okay i do but i think that you know i'm sorry you know what they want a humanitarian pause fine let them give back the hostages full stop there there cannot be i mean this is like saying if god forbid if god forbid I don't like to make the comparison because, you know, this whole idea that the Arab Muslims are the only indigenous people to the Middle East is a lie. Jews are indigenous to the Middle East since ancient times. This is our homeland, too. But hypothetically, let's just say somebody who had a beef with America, you know, from hundreds of years ago, Native Americans, which this is just a made up hypothetical, okay, never happened or would happen but let's say there was some native american terrorist group who went around and god forbid started brutalizing women and babies and dragging people's children in their homes and decapitating them and raping american women and setting them on fire by the thousands well to make it equal scale it would be by the tens of thousands in america and then ran back to the reservation and surrounded themselves with a bunch of babies and got under a hospital and said, oh, you can't get us now. You really think that the American people would say, no, don't do anything. Don't do anything because we're going to hurt their babies. No, you know, the American people would say, you let those babies go. You have 24 hours. You get out from hiding behind your children and your civilians. You come out and fight like men or we're coming in. 
you know very well that's what would happen, Rob. There would be no ceasefire. I mean, these people brutalized intentional cruelty to thousands of, of people, dragged them back, taped it and bragged about it. And now they're going to cry that they want mercy. Let them give our people back. Full stop. Biden should be crystal clear on this. And I agree with you. It's unacceptable not to be. What they are doing, they are the ones responsible for the deaths of their own civilians. They're doing it on purpose. Everybody knows this. You don't get to commit brutality and intentional cruelty and evil and run back and hide behind children. Okay, that is a violation of every law of war, what they are doing. And, you you know, see, it's very sad. And I feel sorry for their civilians, too, which, who, by the way, Israel is warning them again and again to get out of the way. And initially, Egypt wouldn't even let them in. Did you hear the world criticizing Egypt for that? No. But finally, they're being, you know, Egypt opened up the crossing. So they're going. So fine. You know, let them go. I think that's that's very merciful of Israel, and I'm proud of Israel for that. It clearly, you know, Israel is not interested in hurting any Palestinian civilians. This is about getting this terror organization and putting them down, you know, like the dogs they are, which has to happen, by the way, for the sake of the Palestinian people, too. Anybody who's normal there or wants to be normal will never be normal while these maniacs are in charge, and it needs to be handled. And... So for Biden to in any way obstruct that is a mistake. But I think that the Jewish community in America is a little bit pleasantly surprised that he's not even more. I mean, this is a man who gave billions of dollars to Iran, which, by the way, is the head of the snake. And I liked what Tim Scott said in tonight's debate, Rob. He said, you know, he said clearly Iran is behind all of this. Hamas and Hezbollah are Iran's proxies. They don't jump unless Iran says. And Iran has tormented the United States since 1979, has spilled more American blood than any foreign adversary, more than Russia or China. Okay, Iran has gotten away with tormenting this country, tormenting Israel for many decades. Why something hasn't been done about it by now, I do not know. But that's really the head of the snake. So, so, so talking now that you've pivoted to uh, the debate, mm-hmm. what are your thoughts about the debate? I have to admit that I tried to watch it, and at times I was falling asleep. It started out kind of dry. There were some moments. I know that Nikki Haley on the uh, platform with men was definitely uh, was trying to stand out, and I think she was trying to uh, cap Ron DeSantis at the knee because he's a person that I think she's trying to knock off so that she could go against Trump. But then you have Tim Scott. There were some exchanges with her, but I heard that there was one exchange she had with by Beck when he mentioned her daughter using TikTok, and that just like went all over. So again, I was falling asleep on some of it. So can you share with our listeners yeah. what, what you saw, what happened? Well, I, I actually like both Nikki Haley and Vivek as, as personalities. I think they're both very smart, very different visions. Nikki Haley's a neocon, very old school. Vivek is a, a much younger and, and more uh, isolationist, anti-establishment conservative. Um, and, you know, they're... Yeah, they were, you know, he he's he really takes her on. They scrap hard. Um, they happen to both be brilliant Indian Americans, which is interesting that they 
you know, whether that's just coincidental, they seem to kind of have it out for each other. But, you know, very, very conflicting visions in terms of um, how to handle the enemies of the country. Uh, and I, I'll tell you the truth. I, you, anyway, enough about you, you asked a specific question, though, about, yeah, they, they got into it over uh, Vivek said something about Nikki Haley's own daughter was on TikTok and Nikki Haley spoke against TikTok as a malign influence on the youth of America. And he said something to the effect that, why don't you manage your own family um, if you're so concerned? And she said, take my daughter's name out of your mouth. And, you know, honestly, I felt that was kind of a distraction. The whole thing was a little silly. I mean, I think that the bigger difference that's important in terms of their visions, I mean, one thing, I mean, Nikki Haley is great on Israel. She's tough. She's clear-eyed. She's fought for Israel hard at the UN. And she understands, as she said, Israel's the tip of the spear. It's not that America has to do for Israel so much as that Israel is on the front lines for us in a lot of ways. They are existing as an outpost of democracy in a very tough region of the world that wants to, it's not democratic, let's face it. And they are, they share our values in many ways. They're a solid ally, and they are the bastion of human rights and democracy and women's rights and religious freedom and preservation of religious liberty, including liberty for Christians in the Middle East. So for all these reasons, we need to support them. And and their fight is our fight. You know, the, the radical Islamists don't love Christians either. I mean, the idea that this is... I mean, she made the, the case that, you know, and I understand Vivek's position, I think. Uh, I don't think he's anti-Israel. Some people think that, but he's very clear when he speaks very positively about Israel. He's well-versed in the history of Israel. And he seems to be saying that Israel, the founders of Israel, the whole point was no dependence on the world. The, you know, the world did not help the Jews in World War II. Uh, even our own great country, Rob, you know, under under FDR. I mean, FDR did a lot of good things, but he made a lot of mistakes. And one of them, in my opinion, was he did nothing. I mean, he knew there was a genocide going on. He did not want, okay, maybe America couldn't go to war over it, but there were some things we could have done, such as accept refugees. You know, we hear all the time now, refugees from, you know, Central America, South America, Ukraine, everywhere in the world. Let, let me tell you something. When there was a real genocide going on, they sent those refugees back, some of them to death camps. Okay, so the point is Israel was established, modern Israel, in part so that that would never happen again. Part of what happened is that no country took Jews. You know, it was a, a period of time before what Hitler called the final solution of the death camps that you know, these Nazis were evil as they were. The initial plan wasn't to kill every Jew. It was to make them, you know, to, to force them out. But there was nowhere to go. And so, you know, even America wouldn't take masses of Jews. Nobody would, except for 10,000 kids went to England on the kindred transport. And interestingly, China took 25,000 Jews, had compa- little compassion. Very few countries did. And um, so that was, you know, so Vivek talks a lot about how, you know, the founders of Israel made very clear, David Ben-Gurion quotes him a lot, that I am not a Jew, you know, who's going to beg for anybody's help. And he said in the debate tonight, what I would tell the prime minister, it was a very good question. The moderators asked, what would you 
tell Bibi Netanyahu? What would you advise if you were president? And Vivek said, I would tell him, you go do whatever you need to do. You have my blessing to get those terrorists and I'm going to handle our board here in America. So basically, he was saying, he's on Israel's side. Israel, do what you got to do. Take off the gloves. No judgments here. But we're going to handle ours and you handle yours, as opposed to funding and, you know, providing the means. Nikki Haley is more of a traditional foreign policy hawk, which I happen to, in some ways, you know, agree more with Vivek. But I'll admit, I think it's different in the case of Israel. Maybe some of that is because I'm Jewish. Okay, I, you know, I'm a Jewish American. But I also believe that our alliance with Israel is based on shared values, is very deep, and that they are truly an outpost of real democracy. Okay, I'm a little more skeptical about the Ukraine war, as you know, historically, because nothing against the Ukrainians, but I don't think, you know, I think that's not as black and white a situation. And I think it's problematic for other reasons. In the case of Israel, I'm with Nikki Haley and the neocons. I mean, I ha- I don't share their vision for everything. And I don't think the situation in Israel and Ukraine are identical for many reasons. I think they should be, you know, viewed as, as the distinct situations they are. However, she does articulate that old school vision. And I think Israel needs the money to some degree. They, you know, they need weapons. They need the Iron Dome has been very helpful this past, you know, year when a lot, you know, Hamas has been doing this for a long time before they, you know, came across the border and maimed and raped and killed and set people on fire. They've been sending rockets, you know, for years. And Israel's Iron Dome is a defensive missile shield has protected Israel. And that was actually one of the things, one of the few things President Obama did that I agreed with. He gave them funds for that. And that has saved a lot of lives. So, so I mean, I guess the bottom line is Vivek and Nikki, they were arguing about how can, wasn't so much should we support Israel, it was how is best to support Israel. You know, and personally, I, I, you know, I, I do, I don't dismiss what Vivek is saying, but I, I, as a realist, I mean, I think that the reality is his position is too isolationist with regard to Israel, in my opinion. Um, in terms of what else happened in, you know, the debate, they were all very strong on Israel, Rob, and that was beautiful to see, both as a Jewish American and as someone who loves liberty and and life. There was moral clarity on that stage, I felt. Everybody. Tim Scott was amazing. You know, he, he said we have to cut off the snake, which is Iran. And that's what he'd tell Bibi to do or he would do. I was thinking, amen. Uh, DeSantis is very smart. He, you know, I wrote down he would tell Bibi, finish the job once and for all. Um, Christy, you know, who isn't my personal favorite, he did well on Israel. The crowd didn't seem as much behind him in the debate. I think he's more popular among Democrats. I don't know about you, Rob, but I, you know, I felt that everybody there, I mean, DeSantis came across as very smart and competent. Um, And I liked all their positions with regard to Israel and, you know, with regard to taking care of our own border as well. Right. I, I, I mean, just looking at this right now, looking at the candidates, I don't think Chris Christie has a chance. I think he should just step aside. I think he's just there as a foil uh, to Trump. I, I was thinking about Nikki Haley the other day, and I know that a lot of Republicans, including myself, are conservatives. We look at her, and we I, I used to like her, but after Jan 6 and the book that she wrote attacking Trump, I'm like, I don't know if I could support her 
uh, because of the loyalty issue. Now, of course, if she gets it, I, I would support her. I'm not going to go off and vote for a Democrat. The same thing with Ron DeSantis. I'm going to vote for a Republican because they see the trouble that we're in here in the states. That being said, I can see why now some Republicans like Nikki Haley, and it's the same reason why I liked her before mm-hmm. I started to question her loyalty. Right. Uh, be, be, she's a smart woman. Yeah. And when she was the when she was the secretary when she was at the ambassador of the UN, I thought, man, she's really right. on top of her mm-hmm. game. She's on her A game. Mm-hmm. So I can I, I can see it. I understand it. I get it. I have that issue with the loyalty, the same thing I have with Ron DeSantis. You said Mm -hmm. that you weren't going to run. Trump helped you become governor, and now you're running, and now you're going to attack him. I can't get beyond that. But that being said, if either one of them were to – if Trump did not get the nomination and either one of them were to get it, I would fall in line and support them and be their biggest supporter, regardless Mm -hmm. as to how I feel right now. Now, again, we're up against another car commercial break. I can't believe it already. We're having such a great conversation. We'll be back after this commercial break, and we'll continue our discussion about the, uh, the debate as well as your trip to Las Vegas, Heather. With the rise of independent media, we are now AmericaOutloud.news. For the genius of the United States is not found in its executives or legislatures, nor its ambassadors, authors, colleges, or churches, nor even in its newspapers or inventors. The genius of the United States is we the people. AmericaOutloud.news, liberty and justice for all. Spike proteins help viruses enter into your cells, disrupting your health and your well-being. Global Healing's Foreign Protein Cleanse detoxes your body of spike proteins, which allows your body to repair from within, supporting your immune and respiratory systems and regulating your inflammatory response. Formulated by Dr. Edward Group and by Dr. Brian Artis, Foreign Protein Cleanse targets and detoxes spike proteins in the body. Go to americaoutloud.shop and get 15% off using the code OUTLOUD. Global healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. Okay, we're the last half of After Dark with Robin Andrew, and there's just a lot to cover, a lot to talk about. But going back to the debate, and as I was saying about Nikki Haley and people liking her and why I would support her, should she uh, become the front runner, regardless as to how I feel now that the loyalty issue is there? I mean, I'm really big on loyalty. If you are going to be loyal, you have to remain loyal. And I felt that she wasn't loyal because she told Trump she was not going to run, and now she's running. And the same thing with Ron DeSantis, and now they're trying to attack him. Now, if they were to present themselves like, let's say, Vivek, they can very easily say, I mean, and Nikki even said it tonight. I heard her say this before I fell asleep. She said that Trump was a great president. He was the right president for the right time. However, now he's not. And then she went into, well, he had this trillions of dollars. He put us into debt. He did this. But when you look at the economy, we were in a great economy. I mean, I mean for also, her to go. 
and the COVID was technology. right and COVID. So for her to go into that, I'm like, is that the only way you feel that you will be able to win is by attacking him? Because I will always go back to he was the best president ever. You look at what he did. You look at his record. He was not a politician. He's a non-politician. But yet still, despite everything that they were throwing at him, Russia collusion, trying to take him out, he still did a great job. And then came COVID. So for her to go that route and even Ron DeSantis, I find that extremely troubling, Heather. Just find it troubling. And I wish that she would find another way to present it as opposed to trying to take jabs at him. Because at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, if Trump is the nominee, she will have to come across and shake his hand and say, we're going to support you. We want you to be the president. But you see, now she's given the left ammunition to go after him. And I wish that these Republicans would see it that way. Even by that, they want him to attack Trump so bad. I mean, they come out saying, oh, well, what's the difference between you and Trump? Well, if you're the same as Trump, then you shouldn't even run. But I keep saying, Look, they don't have to attack each other. Why is it that there always has to be a fight? People are tired of that. You can say that we're different without trying to attack the person. But you have these folks in the media that they always want them to draw blood. No, you got to attack. You got to fight. No, they don't have to do that. We're a civilized nation. And we should be able to have a conversation and say, this is how I differ from him. He was good at the time. He was good then. But now it's time for something else. It's time for someone else to move on center stage. Right. Plain and simple. I mean, I think that's true. And it's interesting what you said, that Republicans don't want to hear the Trump bashing for sure. I Yeah, I'm not sure why they're, I didn't really find DeSantis to be Trump bashing. I mean, if, if he did, it was very subtle. I, when he, I heard him say that, you know, Trump, uh, if Trump was so good, why are, we, why are we losing? We lost last night. I'm tired of losing. I mean, Trump had no control of that. And to try to tie that to him, I'm thinking, oh, come on. Come on, come on, come on, Nancy. I have to say it because I know pro-life is a very important value to many of our fellow conservatives, and I respect it very much. So it breaks my heart to say it, but you know, my analysis is that that is the. I mean, that is. I think that if Republicans could, and I think that they're trying to. I think Nikki Haley tonight, by the way, tried to articulate a compromise position on abortion. She is unapologetically and you know, truly pro-life personally. And, but that this is also something that the people of the country had, you know, our country's built a certain way. And there's a, there's a, you know, we, we, we like this on certain issues as conservatives. We like, you know, the states to have their own, you know, some, some autonomy. Yes, there are federal laws, but we don't live in a country where it's all dictated from the top down. And we know that's part of the way our country's created to allow for more liberty. And different states have different, you know, laws. And that it's it's gone back to the people in these different regions. And she, you know, she was just saying that that's the way it is. And if you're in a more conservative state, you can get together and pass more conservative laws. And that maybe, I think it was she, a couple of them talked about this 15-week issue, like a ban, a fe- try to get some kind of a federal ban past that point. I would add, unless it's a medical emergency, I think there should be, you know, contingencies for that. But, I, you know, there, there, let's get real. I mean, if God forbid a woman feels she needs to do this, 15 weeks is enough time frankly, if it's not a medical emergency. Um, and, you know, I mean, she was saying that this, something like this, I can't, I don't want to misstate her position because I don't remember exactly, 
But the point is she was she was trying to articulate some kind of reasonable compromise position. And maybe because she is a woman and, you know, I mean, maybe people would be less scared, um, you know, about this. Maybe she she is the one who could assuage some of the anxieties of a lot of women on this and bring them aboard the Republican Party. Maybe she could. I don't know. Right. I mean, it's, it's possible. But. Uh, I think that the Republicans, especially the men, they have got to come up with a better uh, a better response on the entire abortion issue. Otherwise, that is going to sink us greatly come 2024, because we hear right now that the Democrats are planning on trying to put that on every ballot. They're going to try to do everything possible to win this election. It's all they've got. And you know what? It is. It's a tough issue. Let's face it. I mean, I, I don't agree with the hardcore left on this at all. It isn't. I don't think it's as big a clear a slam dunk as a lot of these other issues are. And we saw that with, again. We saw that in Virginia when they thought for certain it was a slam dunk deal. Len Youngkin was going to be the knight in shiny armor. He was going to come in. He was going to seize the moment. And had he done it, they were definitely going to push him out there. But now it's like, wait, stop. Let's look at this. This is not going to work. So Republicans had better pull it together quickly and as soon as possible. Otherwise, it will be a repeat of 2020 and 2022. Now, speaking about Republicans coming together with a solid message, you recently attended an event in Las Vegas with Republicans. You want to share that with our listeners, Heather? I was at the Republican uh, Jewish Coalition's winter meeting in Las Vegas, and all the Republican candidates came, and uh, including President Trump, and he showed up, which was great. He actually always shows up, you know, at the Jewish events. And, you know, I think he's a great supporter, uh, you know, number one, America first, obviously, but I do think he loves Israel. And he, you know, he, he did, you know, he, he was wonderful. And they all were good. Honestly, they were, it's, you know, it's, it's one of the things that I'm very proud of about, you know, leaning conservatives that I think, you know, the Republicans are for America first, and they know who our real allies are, and they're very strong on Israel. And um, yeah, I can, I can tell you, you know, a little bit, I took some notes when President Trump spoke, and when they all spoke, um, Trump said, under my presidency, we eliminated the butcher Suleimani, father of the roadside bomb. When I'm back in the White House, America's enemy will, enemies will know if you spill a drop of American blood, we will spill a gallon of yours. If I were president, the attack we just saw in Israel would never, ever have happened. Under my presidency, our country was very feared and very respected. As president in 2024, we will restore peace through strength. So I thought that was pretty powerful. And I anyway, I don't want to read you all my notes, but I took notes on all the speeches. They were all great, you know, on Israel. And that was kind of the focus of this particular uh, meeting because October 7th had really recently just happened. I mean, usually even at the RJC, Israel's a big focus, but so are other issues. Um, but this time it really was, you know, more U.S. relationship with Israel. And uh, there were some great speakers. One man who leads a, a volunteer ambulance corps in Israel spoke very movingly and really it was uh, devastating. He said, he talked a lot about the, the horrors, but also a 27-year-old Arab-Israeli volunteer paramedic 
who he has hundreds of uh, Arab Israeli volunteers and tens and tens and tens of thousands of Jewish Israeli volunteers. And his point is that in Israel, it is very much a democracy, a diverse democracy. People work together. This particular young man was named Awad Musa Darashi. Rest in peace. He was a 27-year-old Arab Israeli a volunteer who ran to treat a badly injured Jewish girl at the music festival. This brave young man, Darashi, who ran to save lives, was tortured so badly by Hamas to death that his body was unrecognizable. And this man cried telling us about it, and I'm crying, you know. And these are the kinds of true stories that you don't necessarily hear. You hear this horrible maligning of Israel, all these lies, Rob. But the truth is that Israel is a vibrant democracy with respect for its Arab citizens as well as its Jewish majority. And people work together on the whole very well. And it's a culture of life. And this is what we are fighting for. Wow. What was the purpose of the meeting, Heather, the gathering? Well, it, it was to, you know, it happens every year. And it's for the candidates and the, you know, politicians to address Republican Jewish community, which is a, a small but growing community in America of activists and voters. So it was, um, you know, it's a political meeting. It's, it's, you know, every four years, the candidates come and make their case to Jewish Republicans, you know, who are uh, political and, and active and supporting candidates. And Trump was there. And what other candidates were there? Who else did you hear? Let us uh, uh, speak. All the Republicans pretty much came. I'm trying to think. I, I think everybody came. Vivek, uh, Tim Scott, Chris Christie, Nikki Haley, uh, Ron DeSantis. And mm-hmm. oh, Mike Pence actually took the opportunity. He was there at the Republican Jewish. Conference. Oh, yeah. That's when he announced that he was going he was no longer going yeah. to run. It's interesting that he chose us to say it to. It was sad when Mike Pence, I mean, he, he's, he was out there to speak and he's, he, he just came up and said, I'm, you know, this is something about how he, you know, he doesn't feel it's his time and he and his family have reflected on this, you know, but that, you know, it's been an honor to serve. And yeah, he dropped out that day. Well, did he actually, do you actually think he felt that he had, he had a path? to victory to the White House? I guess not. I mean, I, I guess that's my, my, probably why he decided, you know, because we know he wanted it, right? He tried, but I guess that's what happens, Rob, right? I mean, these it's a matter of fundraising, I think. I think you need a certain amount of money to get on the stage at this point, which is one of the things that, you know, Ramaswamy and other sort of anti-established people don't like, you know, but um, yeah, I mean, my, I, you know, I'm, I guess he just didn't have enough support. But. Because when I look at it, I, I wonder, I'm like, did he, did he really, was he really into it or was it his ego? Did someone tell him, hey, you can do this? Mm-hmm. I never saw a path for him, a path of victory for him. The same way I don't see a path for Chris Christie. Mm-hmm. I can see it for some of the other candidates, even Ron DeSantis, but I, I never saw it for Mike Pence. And I guess he came to the realization once the money ran dry, that you know, it's time for me to step down and then to do it at that meeting. Maybe it was because he was among friends. And of course, there are many Christian Americans who love him, too. But you know, he got True. a standing ovation and everybody there was very warm, except for Christie was not warm. Christie got booed a little bit, which I mean, one thing about the RJC, they're very polite, you know, and 
we're all told to welcome everybody and, you know, it tends to be very polite. But I think because Christie is perceived as really knifing Trump in the back, I can tell you that, you know, this year more than ever, everyone was on their feet for President Trump, you know, as well we should be as Americans right. and Jewish Americans. He was the greatest president we've ever had in terms of standing by the Holy Land, you know, and by Jewish Americans. And he was very, very, very loved by everybody there. You know, I mean, because generally speaking, we're, you can start Republican Jews. We're, like I said, we're, we're minority. It's a little like the black community, Rob, in that, you know, I know there's Blexit and all that going on there. There aren't a lot of black Republicans, but, you know, my understanding is your numbers are growing and it's similar. in the Well, I, I, ho- I hope so. I hope they continue to grow. The latest polls are showing that Trump does have a large support of the black community, definitely uh, with men. They need to walk away from the Democrat Party, who's done nothing but have empty promises for them, and they've gotten them nowhere. Now, I want to get your thoughts on this. Rashida Tlaib, whom they, the House finally voted to censor, and I think is long That's overdue, true. and I think they should also censor uh, Ilion Omar. What are your thoughts that they finally moved to do it after she cried and did everything else these last couple of minutes? What are your thoughts on that, the censorship? Yeah, I mean, you know, censure, I, I think it's appropriate. I mean, myself, I mean, I don't like her and I don't like Ilion Omar, but I, I think that the I don't really fixate on them as much as some people do, because, but I guess maybe I should. They are sort of the the figureheads that I mean, I think the main thing is, yeah, the lies. I think the lies have to be confronted. I don't know. I mean, I'm not against the censure. I just sort of wish instead of picking these individuals to like talk about I'm not saying we're vilifying them for no reason. They are irresponsible. And but they tried to censure them before and they weren't successful. I think last week they tried to censure. I I feel like it's not the problem isn't really it is. I mean, these individuals are lousy people and lousy representatives and I'm not defending them. But the mountain of lies is so much bigger than Rashida Tlaib or Ilhan Omar. They're just the latest little mouthpieces of, of, of lies that have been told for decades in, you know, I guess it hasn't reached the halls of Congress till now is the only difference. It's like these lies have been told on the media endlessly on college campuses. I'll give you an example. The big lie is that Jews are somehow colonizers. This is a, a bold faced lie. I mean, there has been Jewish people and presence in this particular land since, frankly, long before anybody who, you know, currently considers them a Palestinian, considers themselves a Palestinian's ancestors have been there. I mean, you can prove this. This is, you know, from the time of Jesus and long before the Jews are native to the Middle East. We were, many of us, driven out over and over again. Jerusalem is the centerpiece, though, of the entire Jewish religion. Okay, my point is just, I'm not trying to say nobody else has, you know, that the land isn't special to anybody else. I'm not trying to be, um, what, uh, intolerant of anybody else. My point is just to say that to say to the, the the slander is saying that Jews don't belong in this land or that it isn't our homeland too. Okay, Ilhan Omar or what's her name Tlaib didn't invent that lie. They're just the last, you know, the latest incarnation of liars. So I don't get as exercised about them as I do. I think we need to start calling out the lies in general, not just picking out certain individuals, but saying to, you know, saying in general, that's a lie. That's a lie. 
that, that Israel's trying to hurt Palestinian babies. That's a lie. I'm not saying there aren't Palestinian babies dying. It's terrible, but it's because of Hamas. It's because the terrorists set it up that way and they're making it impossible. They're using these kids. They're hiding and setting up command centers and hospitals, violation of the Geneva Convention. My point is we need to confront these lies head on. And I don't know that, I mean, I guess the reason these individuals were censured is because they happen to have risen to the level of power that they've risen. I mean, till now, the lies have proliferated on college campuses and TV newsrooms and, you know, um, stuff like that all over the, you know, media for decades. But it hasn't reached Congress till now. Okay, so... So, okay, we're censoring these individuals, but I think what's more important is to talk about what is it they're saying that we're objecting to. And, and you know, we can't be shy about being blunt. I'll give you another example of a lie, you know, that, that Israel's trying to commit genocide. Can I be blunt, Rob? And Absolutely. I'm not suggesting we do this. I'm, God forbid, I'm not endorsing it. Let me be clear. If Israel wanted to commit a genocide, this could be over in a couple of hours. That's the, that's the truth. Israel has, has, you know, way, 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 way militarily stronger than the Palestinians in the, in the entire Arab world. Israel, I mean, these people exist because Israel does not want to commit a genocide. It is not trying to do that. They're very careful in, in their response to all this. They could overwhelm them all, you know, and it could be over all this torment, but because Israel, that's not how the civilized world operates or should operate, okay? So, but I mean, these are the kind of lies that, we, you know, we don't really get blunt with people in our answers to these lies. And I think that's the real problem. Not so much Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar as individuals. They are the latest incarnations of, you know, decades of lies and misinformation that young people have been brainwashed with, like you and I talk about all the time. So this is the, their representative. These people got elected because a lot of people, they don't know Jewish history. Okay, so fine, they're not Jewish. But even if they knew Western history, they would know it's a lie that there haven't been Jews in that part of the world. You know, they're not being educated with a real education in apparently primary, secondary, secondary school or college. They're being fed these intersectionality kind of Marxist theories that we talked about, these overly simplistic pseudo-intellectual hogwash, basically, is what passes for education. And nobody's, you know, I mean, the only people calling it out are the conservatives who aren't listened to by, you know, it's not considered cool, I guess, to listen to us. So I think what really needs to happen is one of the many reasons I think voices like yours are so important. I think, you know, people who are more, I guess, I don't know, minorities, people who are in touch with youth culture, who are hip, who are, you know, who are able to communicate and, and to counter the misinformation. That's what really has to happen, I think. Right. So, okay. you know, no problem with the censure, but I think the problem is way bigger than Rashida Tlaib. Absolutely. Well, you've been listening to After Dark with Robert Andrew on the America Outlaw platform. Uh, sad to say, but we're all out of time. But tune in again tomorrow night when we'll bring you another episode of After Dark with Robert Andrew on the America Outlaw platform. Thank you, Heather Robinson of the New York Post for guest hosting again tonight. God bless, and we hope to see you or hear from you again real soon. Thank you. Good night. Good night.